Hello, and welcome to Looking Beyond, a series of podcasts looking at the issues that surround church and state. My name is Darren Eric Strobel. I am a published author. My current book is American Faith, A Personal Struggle with Separation of Church and State. I am a blogger. My blog is www.civicsandfaith.com. Dot wordpress.com. I am also uh, a former youth director. I've served in churches for the ELCA for over 12 years, 15 years. I've also been a substitute teacher, and I have also been, in many respects, a paraprofessional as well. My educational background is strictly a bachelor's degree. I majored in political science, minored in history at Kearney State College, which is now the University of Nebraska at Kearney, and I attended seminary for one year in the ELCA at Lutheran Theological School at Philadelphia. So what makes me an expert at this field? Well, basically, I don't have a per se uh, expertise in this field. I'm an average Joe just like everybody else. I do. I observe things, and I also have witnessed many things in my lifetime. My two passions in life are church and state, and I have to admit that is kind of a eyebrow raiser because people look at me when I mention that my first book is about uh, church and state. Uh, many people will look at me and say, "Well, hey, that's interesting," but. You know, my folks have always told me not to uh, deal with politics and church. Um, Those are two things that don't mix. And I have to agree, my folks told me the same thing. But in this day of age and divisive politics, I think there needs to be a reasonable voice, a different look at the arguments. That's why the title, Looking Beyond. I am looking at... A different angle to these issues, a different take on these things. I'm not going to go down the worn path that many people do immediately when they start arguing about politics and state, um, church and state mixing together. I'm not going to go down the trodden path of politics shouldn't be telling church what to do and church shouldn't be telling politics what to do. I'm going to take a different angle at things. And that's why I call this podcast Looking Beyond, because I want you to look beyond the stereotypes. I want you to look beyond the um, mythology out there. I want you to look beyond the spin. I want you to look beyond what you have been taught. And I want you to reach a space of peace and understanding, not just of yourself, but also of both sides, because I think that's where we need to be when we need to look at these issues, is more or less understanding. And also, more of a stance of, hey, you know, we're in this together type attitude. There is no us versus them when it comes to religion. Seriously, there isn't. There's also not an us versus them when it comes to proper governance of this country. Everything that happens, happens to everybody, and we need to understand 
those dynamics. So I'm le- asking people to look beyond, to go beyond their teachings, their understanding, and what they're being told by religious leaders, by political leaders, and by community leaders. I want you to dig deep. As a history professor, and many of my political science professors have always told me when I was in college, there's more to the story than what you read. There's more to the story than what you hear on news media. It is my hope that you begin to gain some tools so that you can look beyond. Now, what I may have to say at times may not be easy to take, may be harsh, it may be rude, but I'm dealing on the side of truth. I'm trying to show both sides here. I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to promote one side or the other side in this podcast. What I want you to do is gain the tools so that you can look beyond the us versus them attitude, so that you can look beyond what you've been taught, to look beyond the spin, to look beyond what you're being fed by both church and by both and state. So if you will indulge me in these podcasts, I really would appreciate feedback, and I would really appreciate what you have to say. Um, you can always leave comments on my blog, www.civicsandfaith.wordpress.com. And if you want more um, more insights, please pick up my book. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's American Faith, A Personal Struggle with Church and State. And I would like to start this first podcast of my own with my a favorite Bible section that is basically where we will begin and give you a little idea of what I'm talking about here. So, if you have a Bible, go get one. Um, If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'll probably be reading most of these Bible verses to you. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version Bible, and I'm going to be reading from Romans 13. Now, many of you will recognize Romans 13 because it is an oft-quoted Bible by many um, government officials, by many uh, people who uh, are in government authority, and it is one I think we need to take a very good, strong look at, because Paul had different intentions for these Bible verses rather than what we have today. So let's begin. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you shall be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Now I'm going to stop there. And I want to elaborate on some things here that Paul is writing about. We, when we look at Bible verses, when we look at history, when we look at objects of this, my professors in both seminary and in college have always said one thing. Keep the items in context. Now, this is an often misquoted Bible verse by many politicians to exert their own authority over the people. This, this Bible passage has also been pointed to by monarchs and by presidents and by prime ministers as the divine right to rule where they divine, where they gain that, uh, idea from that God has instituted them to rule over us and there's nothing you can do about it. It's that type of attitude. It's that type of feel. But we need to also take a look at the context in which Paul was writing this. Now, we have to understand when Rome existed back in that day. This is the Roman Empire. Paul is a missionary for God in the Roman Empire. Paul is also a lawyer. We have to keep that in mind. Even though he doesn't practice law, he has a very astute understanding of the law. Also, we have to understand um, the Roman Empire at that time. The Roman Empire had much of Europe, the Middle East, and Northern Africa in their grip. They basically had the Mediterranean Sea under their sway. Matter of fact, many Romans would refer to the Mediterranean Sea as their lake. Um, you, you could not go anywhere in Rome without crossing the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul was a citizen of this, and he was a seafarer. He was also a tent maker. But more importantly, I want you to understand, he knew the law. So he also saw some things happening at this time as well. It is believed that Nero was emperor at the time of this writing. And Paul is writing this letter to Romans in Rome. Why is Paul writing in such a manner? Because Nero was a tyrant. He was, he was, he was brutal. He was uh, a tyrant. So much so that he caused the burning of Rome. That's what historians point to. They, they believe Nero burned Rome so that he could build a new Rome. And that's why you get the saying from Nero that he sat around and fiddled. Well, he sat around and did nothing and watched uh, Rome burn. But this is the person we're dealing with. Nero also instituted a series of persecutions against the Christian faith. Why was the Christian faith being persecuted? Because the Christians then, as we do now, proclaimed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and King over the whole world.
Now, Rome did not like that. Rome wanted you to swear allegiance to the emperor. If you did not, that was a treasonous offense. And that is why many of the Christians were persecuted because they would not swear allegiance to the Roman emperor. So we have this as a backdrop here. Still, you got to sit there and wonder, why is Paul writing this? Because you have to look throughout all of history to understand one thing. People resist government authority, especially government authority that has gone awry, especially government authority when they have done something wrong or are tyrannical. Take, for example, our American Revolution. Why did we fight the American Revolution? We fought it to become independent from the Empire of England. And more importantly, we were not happy with the decisions that King George III were laying down. So we were rebelling against those decisions of the king. Now, if you want to apply that here too, you can. So our founding fathers, even them themselves, were breaking this Bible passage. Paul is exerting people to obey the government. So what is at play here with Paul? Why, why is he telling people we should not go against government authority? Well, we were, the Christians were having a problem, not just with persecution, but with martyrdom. Many people of the Christian faith would have rather chosen martyrdom rather than li living during Rome. And rather than living under the Roman thumb, many of the Christians at that time, were willing to give themselves up to become martyrs. We also had some factions of the Christian faith that were becoming militant. Some of the people who were Roman citizens saw a chance in this newborn faith, this actually cult at the time, as a way to overthrow the government. They saw this as a chance to join up, to become a Christian, to become baptized, and then to get together a militia of Christians to overthrow the Roman Empire. Now, you may be horrified at that thought that this would happen, but it happens even to this day. People join up with organizations, especially religious organizations, for alternative motives. They are not sincere, and we have to recognize that. We have to understand that. It is, it is bad, yes, but it happens. It has happened before Christianity came around. It happened before there was Judaism. It has happened before Abraham walked the face of this earth. That mentality has always been in our DNA. So still, throughout history, we still rebel against all this and all that. And yet, we get these words from Paul. So what Paul is really trying to do with these first eight verses is tamper down the willingness to give yourself up or to the willingness to try to overthrow the government to replace it with something else. Paul saw this as a mistake. Paul also saw this as a way of Christianity losing a lot of good people, a lot of good men and women to death because they were willing to lay their lives down for the cause and not further the word here on earth. That is what some scholars believe is actually at play here. So when Paul is coming out and saying, obey the government authorities, they're there for a reason. Yes, they are there for a reason. But since 
we live in America in a democracy. How would we apply this? Because within our system, we have it in our system to speak out against our government without being reprised, without being terrorized on it by our government. What we need to remember is when it comes down to this, the American people are part of the government. Matter of fact, if you really want to say, think about it, the American people are the bosses of the president of the United States. The president makes decisions for us, yes. We elect him to do that. We also elect senators and congressmen to make decisions for us. It's a republic form of government. But when it comes right down to it, those people have to listen to us when we go to cast that ballot and say, hey, we don't want you in office anymore. You're fired. That is built into our system to speak out against the government because in all actuality, the American people are the bosses. That's why we have freedom of speech and that's why we have freedom of press so that we have those tools available to us to write an editorial, to go down on the street corner and complain. We have that right as the American people. Because we are part of the government. So when we speak out, we really are not speaking out against the government. We are the government speaking out against wrongdoings within our government. That's how I see it. That's how I view it. And that is what I've been taught about this great American system that we have in place here. So we have to understand the context in which Paul is saying this. He's trying to get the Christians under the Roman system to not try to overthrow the government. In God's time, that will happen, but not right now. We have to believe and understand that God is in control. There is a reason why we have what we have right now. And we also have to understand one other thing, and this is something that many monarchs and stuff don't understand, but we in America kind of do. When God is upset... He, and he is in control, if we believe that, then when we vote, we are, voiding, we are voicing God's voice as well. This is why we should, this is why for centuries, the existence of this country, this is why we have always felt that because the elections are smooth, the elections are uh, a transition that we are about, that is why we have never had a problem with accepting the results of our elections here in this country. Because in in our subconscious, we believe that this is ordained by God, that this has to happen. We don't think the person who is taking the seat as godlike or on the level of God, but we do believe that that transition needs to take place because God has allowed it to happen. God made it happen. Okay, that is why we in America have followed the results of the elections always and without complaint. So, some interesting ideas out there that I've dealt with you for this um, first part of Romans 13. We must remember that Paul was writing to a bunch of Romans who were trying to overthrow the government within the Christian faith. We have to understand that and recognize that. We also understand that there were people out there willing to lay down their lives to become martyrs so that they can um, 
see God because they are promised eternal life. Those attitudes still exist today, not just in Christianity, but in all religions. We're very familiar with them. We know where they are. It's not necessarily right. And Paul also is pointing that out. We need to be obeying the government. I obey the government every day when I stop at a stop sign, when I travel the roads on the right side of the road, when I walk on sidewalks and stop at corners and walk, look both ways, when I go to work, when I get paid, when I pay my taxes, everything, I do obey the government. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we should overthrow the government. No, by no means. I don't want the government overthrown. I, like Paul, want us to understand that as good Christians, we need to obey the government. Because if we didn't, it's not just a matter of our safety, it's other people's safety. If I choose to run every single stop sign and every single traffic light in the city that I live in here in Owatonna, Minnesota... I will eventually get pulled over for reckless driving. I will be put into jail, and I might even be charged with manslaughter because some people may have been um, killed along the way because I chose to not stop, and I would, I would run into things and run into other cars and run into people. It's not just for our safety. It's for other people's safety that we obey the government rules because government is here to keep order for us, okay? That, more than anything, needs to be remembered within these verses, okay? We can't just go out and do what we want. We still need to obey those laws put into place so that we may leave safe and happy lives. But I want to now move into the next few verses, 8 through 10. So let me read that out. And I want you to understand something. Paul is making a shift here. This is why we don't need it. That's why we need to keep this in context. Because in most all his writings, Paul starts off with the law. This is the law. This is how it is. And then Paul comes with the other side and say, listen to this end. So let me read verses 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, I want to continue here because we just got rattled off a ton of stuff there within those uh, two short verses. One thing is, Paul is rattling off the Ten Commandments, and not necessarily in order, and he's not rattling off all of them. When I read this, I am really going back in my mind to Matthew 19, 16 through, through um, 30. And here, Jesus is talking to a young rich man who comes up, and the basic question that he asks is, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus' first question, of course, is why do you ask me about the, what is good? But that's not where I want to go with it. Jesus goes, there is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. 
And the young man asks, which ones? Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think Paul had this in mind when he was rattling off these uh, Ten Commandments in Romans 13. Basically, Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in these two verses back there in Matthew. So let me reread that part again in Romans 13. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love the last verse in here where it says, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, Paul just got done telling us about the law, what we should do. And law needs to be in this world to keep order. We are such a sinful world that we need to be told on a daily basis what to do. If we did not, I do believe that we would stray away from God even further than what we are. So we do need governments, we do need law in order to keep the order in this world. But... We need to understand one thing as, as citizens of this world, as citizens of this nation. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And let me put this to you in this manner. I live on a corner street. I have a neighbor to my south and I have a neighbor to the west. Now, we get along pretty good. I've lived in this house for seven years and I've gotten to know my neighbors pretty good. Whenever they are out of town or whenever I am out of town, we watch each other's homes. Even though we may not say to one another, hey, I'm going to be gone, we watch each other's homes. We do. If we don't see each other for a while, we ring each other's doorbells and see, check in and say, hey, how are you doing? Whenever one of them is out on the porch and I'm outside, we will sit and talk. Now, I love my neighbors. One, the one house to the south of me is a single gentleman about the same age as I am. And to the west of me is a husband and his wife who have been married now for a few years. Um, the husband first moved here when he was recently divorced from his first wife. And so I got to know the husband pretty good. And we've talked and we have seen each other and we have done, each, we have done things together. And we have also chatted uh, across the fences. And we watch out for each other. Now... Do I want to do anything to my neighbors? By no means. Do I cover up my neighbor's property? No. Do I cover up my neighbor's wife? No. Do I want the same house as my neighbors? No. I love my neighbors, therefore I do not wish to do any harm to them. By loving them, I am fulfilling the law. And I think that is something that we so richly miss here. In this era where we are demanding law and order, where we are demanding that might makes right, where we need to show others who's the real boss. The real boss is the one who stands around and loves his neighbor. If I go up to a neighbor and I say to a person and say, hey, why don't you tell me about what's going on in your life? And then after a while, I say, you know, that sounds kind of tough. Is there anything I can do to help you? 
if I can do something to better another person's life, I have fulfilled the word of God. If I have shown any love to anybody, I have fulfilled the word of God. And not only that, by loving another person, you see the face of God because we all reflect God's love to one another. We don't just sit by idly and say, hey, this is not affecting me, so I shouldn't do anything about it. I think if we as a nation of people, not the government, do not rely on the government to do this, but if we as a nation, if we all of a sudden stopped and thought, hey, I know my neighbor is struggling to pay the utilities bill. I happen to have enough to cover him this month. Why don't I go and pay his bill? Or, hey, I see the family down the road, their kids have worn the same clothes for the last couple weeks. I might need to go down there and talk to them and see if there's something I can do to give them some clothes, buy them some new clothes. Just these small, simple acts. When we see somebody walking on the street, it doesn't matter the color of skin, who they are, where they come from or something, but a nice hello, how you doing today, and um, not paying attention to them. And now I'm not saying we don't need to pay attention to criminal activity. We do. But we don't need to stereotype somebody because of the color of their skin or because they happen to be from a different country. We need to show genuine love to one another. This reminds me of a young lady that um, worked at Target with me a few years ago. And she was, well, she still is, a Muslim. She's a United States citizen, but she's also a Muslim. And I um, was talking with her one day. We were straightening up aisles together one day, and I was talking to her. And I started talking to her about, well, what is it you believe as a Muslim? And she started telling me, and then she started asking me, well, how is it that you believe in Jesus Christ? And I tell her. And for the time that she was at Target, we would do this from time to time. We would sit, we would talk, we'd have coffee, and we would discuss our faith. Now, my intent was not to go out and convert her to Christianity. And she was not intended on trying to make me a Muslim. It was just a discussion of friends who showed each other that we cared for one another. We would buy coffee for one another from time to time, and we would sit and chat. And the thing that I got out of it was more of an understanding of her faith than anything. Am I a Christian? By no, am I a Christian? Yes. Am I a Muslim? By no means. But my Christian faith was strengthened by knowing more about her faith and gaining more insight about her. And that's the beauty of Christianity. We tolerate a lot, and we should, because Jesus tolerated a lot. We need to follow his example more. But the thing is this. As a Christian, my faith in God gets strengthened when I talk to a Buddhist, when I talk to a Jew, when I talk to a Muslim. And I'm not sitting there saying, well, thank God I'm a Christian. No. I am showing genuine care and love and compassion toward the person. And I go, that's interesting. I never knew that. I listen to them. 
I hear them. And that, more than anything, is what God is asking us to do. That's all he's asking us to do. My job is not to go out and convert the Muslim faith to Christianity. We have fought wars over that. We have fought crusades over that. And I don't think we have made any headway with taking a sword and trying to kill Muslims because they believe differently. Maybe on the off chance, by showing how God has loved us, by showing that to other religions, we may gain the kingdom of God. And we may gain more converts if we show that we care and love our neighbors. It is also allowing the Holy Spirit to work. If I go before somebody and I'm talking about Jesus, I am not browbeating them over the head with a Bible. I'm getting to know them. I want to get to know them. And by loving my fellow man, loving my fellow human being, I am fulfilling the Ten Commandments. Think about that. By loving my fellow human being, I am fulfilling the Ten Commandments. I don't need no Ten Commandments posted on a courthouse wall. I don't need no Ten Commandments posted outside a building. Because the Ten Commandments live in each and every single one of us. That happened the day Jesus Christ was crucified. And he rose again three days later. That, my friend is where their Ten Commandments really reside, is in our hearts. And in our hearts, we show love. By showing love, we respect others. We honor our mother and father. We do not wish to murder or kill our neighbors. We do not wish to rob. More than anything, we cheer them on and we say, hey, we're here for you if you need us and we're here with the successes as well. That is all God wants from us. That is what he really sent his son down to do. Not to condemn this world. No, he came down to redeem the world. If you look in your Bible at John three sixteen and 17, you will see that as clear as day. He came to redeem the world. And he also came to show us love. By showing us how to love, we show that same love back to our neighbor. By showing that same love back to our neighbor, we fulfill the law and the Ten Commandments.